There's really three major phases when it comes to buying a short-term rental that in those final two phases, a lot of people ignore. The first phase is the acquisition, which is really understanding the numbers, buying the right property in the right area that can support the numbers, the cash flow property. Yeah. Everybody focuses there, right? But then we forget about the last two phases, which is setting up a property for a target audience and setting up a great experience for that audience and being able to deliver it through the right management structure. And then ultimately marketing that to the masses, right? This is a really popular game anymore. And you can get lost in the crowd if you don't know how to market these because these are like little businesses. Man, I am excited for today's guest and the conversation that we're about to have. My man, Sean Moore of Vodacy. How are we doing, bro? Matt, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation today. You know, uh, there's a lot of people who have gotten into short-term rentals and, you know, hospitality uh, over the course of, let's say, the last five years. But I haven't met too many people that I, I, I call OGs, the original gangsters. <laughs> you know, in, um, in short-term rentals and, and hospitality. And you are one person that checks all those boxes and, uh, and is that. And uh, I don't think too many people um, know maybe how long you've been in this space and how much of an expert you are. So I'm really excited for you to kind of open the kimono a little bit and, and share your journey, what you've been up to, how you've built wealth, not only through real estate investing, but specifically how, you know, hospitality, um, creating experiences for people in real estate assets has become just your bread and butter and doing it at the highest of levels. So uh, if you guys are interested in hospitality, interested in short-term rentals, um, today is probably going to be one of the best episodes to listen to. But first and foremost, brother, how is everything going in your world? What's going on in your world? And then maybe we'll unpack a little bit about where this journey all started. Yeah, man, the, the, everything's awesome. I appreciate that and appreciate the introduction. It's uh, there's definitely some gray hairs here and some <laughs> some bald head under my under my hat. You know, there's there's uh, I've got a few years, so being an OG is a, is a good thing, and it's got some of its its bad side of it as well, right? Like, of course, we were talking before we hit play. Like, I was my first properties were on Craigslist. That that was our marketing tool back then, and so it was. Uh, it, it's been a really fun, wild ride watching this asset class grow up and mature to what it's become today and uh just having a ton of fun uh, you know really continuing to play the game and uh you know like we're we're always like I always tell people even though we've had a you know we've been really fortunate to be financially free for over a decade now with our portfolio we're still we're still always grinding and playing and and building and and buying properties and so it's really a fun game and and watching it change as much as it has the last few years and really accelerate and become as popular as it has. And there's pros and cons to that as well. And it's yeah. it's been fun watching that and and being able to be a part of navigating that and helping people navigate that. Yep. Yeah. And and maybe for those, and we can unpack this a little bit more as well, but for those that don't know what Vodacy is, how did that come about? What is it? What do you guys do? Yeah. So Vodacy, it's a it's a coaching and training program helping investors in the ownership model, right? I'm I'm a big believer in in owning real estate. So not that there's anything wrong with the arbitrage, co-hosting that side of life. There's a lot of people who make a lot of money and, and financial freedom with that. We we help investors who are really building a portfolio that they want to fully 100% own, right? Uh, yeah. Of short-term rentals. And so we help them really try to get into this game and walk into it with their eyes wide open. There's really three major phases when it comes to buying a short-term rental 
that in those the final two phases, a lot of people ignore. The first phase is the acquisition, which is really understanding the numbers, buying the right property in the right area that can support the numbers that, you know, to to cash flow property. Yeah. Everybody focuses there, right? But then we forget about the last two phases, which is setting up a property for a target audience and setting up a great experience for that audience and being able to deliver it through the right management structure. And then ultimately marketing that to the to the the masses, right? This is a really popular game anymore. And you can get lost in the crowd if you don't know how to market these because these are like little businesses. They're a little yeah. bit different than just real estate assets, right? And 100%. So, yeah. So at Vodacy, we we teach people how to do that. And I never thought I would ever be a coach. I never... I'm I'm about the least social person, you know. Um, you know, I, I I like to be in the mountains by myself in a river, usually with a fly pole and and nobody else go. around most of the time, right? But it's I I I've been in the game for a while, and I would get invited to speak on other people's stages, and I really would just talk to about what what I was doing, and people were like, "Hey, I like that," or "Can you help me here?" And I would just you know through emails and helping people do things, um, and then I would show up at the next conference. And these people would come up and be like, holy crap, Sean, I did this. And here's what it's done for me and my family. And we just want to thank you. And, and I started hearing the stories of how it actually was changing people's lives. And that's when I really just kind of organically grew into helping people you know, do this game. And now we've got one of the, I think it is the largest short-term rental investing education company in the US. And so we have, we have a large portfolio and a large uh, group of investors now across the US. One of the things I love about you, Sean, is, um, you know, there, there's a lot of people who get into, let's say, coaching in the guru space uh, for the wrong reasons. Um, a lot of it is to make money. And oftentimes it's it's people that really have maybe done one or two, uh, or maybe they took somebody else's course and that now they're a good marketer and they're spinning up, you know, their own course. Uh, you did this out of pure demand from people wanting your expertise because, yeah. You're actively doing this and have been actively doing this for what? Are we we're going almost close to two decades now on short-term yeah, rentals? Almost almost two decades with short-term rentals. Yeah. And yeah. so, and so. I, I I love and appreciate that about you because um there's obviously a kind of a, a pure intention behind, you know, serving other individuals, but also the fact that, you know, your your audio and what you're telling and teaching people to do, your your video and your actions fully align with that and are in total, you know, integrity. So for those that um are are thinking about short-term rentals and getting into the space. You know, it's it's a very different space today than when it was when you started. I'm curious before we talk about today, like when you first started, what what did the landscape look like? Like, and and how has it evolved and maybe leading up to where we're at today? I know obviously Airbnb totally changed the game, but like talk about the evolution of this short term rental hospitality space, yeah. this asset class as a whole that you've experience just from your own perspective, I'm curious. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer 
and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Yeah, it's been, you know, back back when I really started, it was by accident. I, I stumbled upon it. I was always a fix and flip guy, had some long-term rentals, um, was always, I was doing development deals. And ultimately, we actually, I was doing a big development deal and, and kind of rolled away from our own business to help a big developer in a private ski and golf resort in Utah. And like, I'm talking like $25, $30 million homes. Ooh. And this was back in 2006. And we had bought at the time we were doing we were doing well with our investments and we were buying vacation homes not to rent them out we were just buying them for our own self just second homes for ourselves and in 2008 the fed came in to the offices and all of a sudden locked down computers file cabinets everything and this the owners of this resort got indicted on securities charges and so everything shut down overnight but for the last that those three years, I was in the hospitality game. This was a private ski and golf resort, and it, it introduced me to that world at a very high level, but still the world of hospitality and experiences, right? And I, I honestly back then I I threw myself a six month pity party, and even though we were making almost a half million dollars a year, we we lost it all. We I was spending it as fast as I was making it. I was very arrogant at the time, as far as thinking that you know I was just gonna. You know, I I could make another dollar if I needed to. And then when it when this happened, instead of looking in the mirror and saying, what can we do about it? I just pointed fingers for six months. I said, this isn't my fault. This was these guys' fault. This is somebody else's issue to deal with. Well, the banks don't care that when you start, you know, whose fault it is, right? Yeah, if right. I'm not making my house payments and my car payments, you know, I lost everything. I, I lost and went through and lost everything except for a vacation home. And this vacation home that we had in the mountains in Utah, I started throwing it on Craigslist just out of just out of sheer like I I need to pay the bills I can't pay the bill I thought I'd rent it out for the weekends right and and ultimately this was in this started in two thousand eight nine ten which was if you were in real estate back then you know what real estate was doing and what the economy was doing and it was on a skid right well uh, during this time this property was cash flowing really really well for us and it was doing really well when everything else around real estate was not doing really well so. There were some seeds planted there for me to say there there might be something to this asset class. We ended up ultimately getting back on our feet, starting getting back into the game, doing some deals, making a little bit more money. And when we we struggled with infertility for a little while, and my my wife and I and we ended up doing in vitro, 
we were blessed with twins. I have I have a boy girl twins, and nice. we every year for their for their birthdays we don't do presents. We always do experiences. So for every holiday we do something. But for their birthday week we go to Hawaii, and every week for their birthday we're in Hawaii. Well, I was on working on a development deal, and my son was turning four, and you know the, just imagine a four year old not not uh, uh, understanding that I was visibly frustrated with something, mm-hmm. and he just said, "Well, Dad, if." you don't like real estate in Utah, you know, just sell real estate in Hawaii, just do real estate here in Hawaii. It's way funner. Right. And so, um, and so, but at the time it wasn't that little conversation, you know, it's, it's these little things in our lives that lead us to like different decisions and different pathways. And I just asked myself, what do I love about what we do? And I love the hospitality game. I had seen that it actually performs well during, you know, downturns and, and bad economies. That was a, that was a plus for me. Right. And I really liked it. And so, at that point, we really just went all in to the short-term rental game. And it's gone from, you know, couch surfing to very like mom and pop, like, okay, I'm going to take pictures on my cell phone to the, you know, all of a sudden now everybody had model homes. And now then COVID came and just accelerated the the popularity as of the user using short-term rentals. Yeah. You know, the guest, you know, guests prefer short-term rentals now. It's very mainstream. And so then we had to raise the bar again. And we're starting to see now, instead of just having this really nice model home with professional pictures, you have to really go after a target audience and create a great experience. And it's been really fun watching it go from, you know, really crappy cell phone pictures back then when cell phones didn't take very good pictures to all of a sudden now you've got, you know, you, I mean, you've got real storytellers out there really being able to articulate what that experience is going to be like. And it's been so fun watching this, this game evolve and, and having, you know, throughout the years, it's just, it's just accelerated. So it's just exciting. Yeah. I love it, man. I, that's, that's really cool to hear kind of the, the inception story for so many people um, that get into something that they're passionate about is, is usually by accident, right. Or, Or out of solving their own need and necessity or problem. And and to see where obviously it's evolved into today, and how many lives and families and you know communities you're changing with this business model that was you know incepted out of a lot of pain you know that yeah. you were experiencing back then. So for a lot of the people that you know are thinking about short term rentals, because I think a lot of people wrote, I I talk to as you do a lot of people that you know are excited about short term rentals and I want to buy one but they really don't know a lot about maybe real estate investing in general and or, you know, uh, the other layer of this particular model, which is the fact that it's it's not just a passive investment. It's yeah. an active, you know, business essentially under a roof or a hotel or whatever the asset class, you know, asset might be. What are some of the things that you tell people to think about and or consider going into this that, you know, will kind of create a little bit more reality around, you know, what most people romanticize as being an easy, fun asset class. Yeah. What are some of the things people should be thinking about? And who is this asset class for or not for? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a, it's a really important question to dive into on the front end of anything, right? There is no perfect asset for anybody, right? Yeah. It's there. I love real estate assets in general. And I think that real estate is is probably the best vehicle for the average American to build wealth in the US. And I love single family real estate, right? There's a lot of people who kill it in multifamily and everything else. But single family, I feel like the average American, 
at some point is going to be able to invest into a single family home. And you've got a couple different avenues of single family, long-term rentals and now short-term rentals. Short-term rentals have a, a whole host of other things you have to think about on the back end, right? A long-term rental, it's a lot more passive. You can go out and buy a property. You can underwrite them fairly. They're fairly simple to underwrite, frankly. Yeah. You know, short-term rentals, you've got a lot of moving parts. And when it comes to really running the numbers, you've got to understand what, one, what data points are important to you, right? Right now we're talking, there's a lot of people, the Airbnb bust, right? We talked about that before we hit. And a lot of headlines show rev par. And it's like, okay, is rev par an important data point for you as a short-term rental investor? For me, it's not. And it's not that important. It would be if I had, maybe if I was a hotelier or something that that was a little bit more of a relevant data point. For me as a short-term rental, Rev par doesn't matter that much. If it's going down, that just shows supplies going up. Well, supply has skyrocketed in the in the last day, you know, the last four or five years with short-term rentals. So my point to this though is if you're diving into the game, one, you really need to understand and take the time to understand the game you're going to go play. Because you need to say, okay, I want to walk into this with my eyes wide open. Because as I start to run down the road, right? Anytime we start, we've got that uninformed optimism. The minute you run down a few a little bit longer, you know, that emotional cycle of change starts to kick in and we start to get that informed pessimism and we start to get, you know, that valley despair and we're like, okay, well, I'm out. I'm I'm going to I'm going to go the other other direction. If you really understand the game you're playing, you can commit through that and get to the other side. Short-term rentals just have a lot of different layers that a lot of people don't fully quite understand yet. And yeah. I, I love them. They're a lot of fun. I do think they're good for a lot of average Americans that don't have a lot of money. They can still control the assets, own the assets, and be able to accelerate some of their wealth building because these are typically buying properties in nicer areas that appreciate well, that can now cash flow. Not always, you know, short term rentals don't make a ton more than most other asset classes, frankly. I mean, yeah. because they have a lot more expenses on the back end, right? Yeah. There's a lot, especially if you're not going to manage them yourself. You're going to pay 30 or 40% management fees. That eats into a lot of those expenses. A lot of people are like, oh man, now, and if you don't, if you don't do that and you keep that in your pocket, now all of a sudden you got yourself a second job, you know? And, and so those are some of the drawbacks of them. But one of the things that I do disagree with that is a common thing that people say is that you you know you really should underwrite these assets as a plan B for long-term rentals. If you can't make a long-term rental out of it, then that that might not be, you know, you're kind of hedging your your bet. The issue with that is and it it sounds really good on the surface because they're single family homes, right? And it's like okay, single family homes rent long-term. I totally get where it's people are coming from. The reality is if it underwrote as a long-term rental and you made money as a long-term rental, you probably keep it as a long-term rental, right? Mm -hmm. Short-term rentals are designed to help you cash flow nicer properties in nicer areas. And nicer properties in nicer areas don't typically underwrite well as long-term rentals. Otherwise, we'd see long-term rentals in all the nice nice areas, right? Because yeah. it's easier, frankly. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, it's a little more predictable. It's an easier asset to be able to just manage long-term. So... I always tell people it's kind of like saying, "Okay, I'm going to buy this office complex, and it, if it doesn't if it doesn't work as an office complex, I'm going to turn it into a multifamily property, or I'm going to turn it into something else." That's not the case. Short term rentals should be treated as a mainstream asset right now, and we're seeing it with regulations, everything else. Right? There's a reason we've got sweeping regulations on short term rentals because they've grown up. 
They're now mainstream. Municipalities have to address them. They have to have zoning and permitting, just like we do for commercial and like we do for multifamily, yeah. like we do for residential or high density. Now the they're they're mainstream assets that should be treated as such. And you need to underwrite them as such. Yeah. Right. And so, and and I think that because they're single family homes, we assume that there's a lot of crossover. And frankly, most of the time there's not. There's very few markets that really are going to underwrite for both. Yeah. And so, you know, those are those are some of the things that you've got to think about on the front end when you dive into it. So it's not like, okay, I'm going to try short-term rentals. If it doesn't work, I'm going to turn it to a long-term rental because most likely it's not going to work as a long-term rental. Yeah. I like that you you brought that up, right? Because that is kind of the the default safety net answer for a lot of people. And I think while that can be true in in certain scenarios, certain markets, and certain yeah. ways to maybe look at, you know, when you're underwriting a deal, hedging your risk. I like the approach that you're talking about, right? Which is, you know, these types of assets need to be run and positioned a certain way in order to truly maximize the value and the cash flow yes. out of them. And there are certain, you know, I think risks that come along with this asset class. W- what are some of those risks, whether it's, you know, Governments finally catching up and trying to, you know, change regulations, whether it's, you know, how to operate these assets, maybe talk about some of those risks and how they can be mitigated. And also maybe I'd love to hear just because you have so much exposure, what are some of the things people are doing that are absolutely crushing it right now? Yeah, great, great question. So one on the the regulation side, for us, and we've we've been this has been our attitude for years, especially when we when we're advising or coaching other investors is don't buy in areas that don't have a, a definite yes, here's the process, the permits, the zoning for short-term rentals. That was a lot harder to do four or five years ago because yeah. there was a lot of gray area properties, right? They we want to go into municipalities that have said yes or no. No, you know, obviously is a we're not gonna invest there, but a yes. Here's how you have to operate. Here's what we're going to do for short-term rentals. Because even if they decide, if the pendulum starts to swing further the other way and they start to cut it down, those areas you're usually grandfathered in because you've already you've actually got the permits, right? It's those areas that are gray, that haven't addressed it, that become very risky because when the municipality does address it, and they're going to, because it's a mainstream asset, it's, it, they're going to figure out how to address whether they like it or don't like it. Those That's where you run the risk as an investor of saying, and now I can't do what I wanted to do with this asset. And that's where it becomes risky, right? And so yeah. you might limit the areas that you should go buy in. We, you know, I always tell people, you, you, you know, we talk to somebody and they're like, well, I only want to do this if I can buy here. Well, if they don't allow it, you shouldn't do it, right? Like I'm, I'm in, my advice is don't do it. You know, you shouldn't be diving into the game. Only buy in areas. It's just like anything else, Matt, is you have to go, you have to buy an asset that's zoned and permitted correctly. Right, yeah. and so you have to be able to get that per, those permits for short-term rentals. That's going to exclude some areas because we've seen the pendulum swing really far one way, and now and and this is brand new regulations. You might see it come settle somewhere in the middle, yeah. But you have to follow the rules as as they're laid out right now. And yeah. so on that side, one hundred percent, we only look for areas that we can get the blessing and the permits and the, everything we need to operate as a short-term rental. The next thing is on that that is a risk is when you're diving into this game is really understand the time it's going to take. People dive into short-term rentals 
thinking that on, especially like on the management side, they're going to say, okay, I, I, I don't want to, I, I didn't underwrite 30% management in here. I didn't underwrite 40% management. So if I have a management company, I'm losing money. And so make sure that no matter what you do, you underwrite management because a lot of people assume they're going to be the hospitality, the 24-7 concierge, and they realize they don't want to do that, right? Yeah. And, and I don't manage any of my own properties for a reason, right? Yeah. I, and, but I underwrite them to make sure that I can pay the right management partners to do so. And so, you know, I, I 100%, that's a big mistake I see people dive into this game is I'm going to, I'm going to, or I'm going to manage it to learn the game, you know, and it's like, okay, you're going to learn quick that you probably don't like that game. There are yeah. some people that manage their own properties. And frankly, they, they do a better job than almost any manager I, I meet because yeah. they love the hospitality side of it. They love that guest communication. They love communicating and having fun with the guests and providing that great experience. If that's your, if that's your game, go play it because you will do an amazing job. But most people manage their own properties to save money. And that's not why you should manage them. And so, and then on the crushing it side, this is where it's, this is where I get really fired up and excited right now is because at the top level of this game, there's a lot of money to be made. And there's very few people operating toward the top of these markets and there's a lot of room at the top of the market. You know, this is because this has grown up, we've got that 80-20 principle. You yeah. know, 20% of the properties are generating 80% of the money. That's why rev part's not that important for me. Because rev part just judges the fair share of business. That's assuming everybody gets the same amount of business. Yep. The top properties are generating the majority of the money here. And the way that you do that is by creating a unique experience for a target audience and be able to articulate that through all the marketing channels. And very, very, very few people are going to do this. And so any of you that are thinking about getting in the game, one thing that's really encouraging, go look at the markets you want to dive into and go look. And the easiest way to tell if you can stand out is if you look at all those listings and if those listings could, if, they, if those owners decided to sell and they could just take that listing and throw it on Zillow and it would be right at home on Zillow, the same photos, the same everything would be right at home on Zillow as it is what they're showing on Airbnb, you know that they're selling the wrong thing. and so. You, those ones, those people that really articulate an experience, you can't take those photos and throw them on Zillow to sell the house because they're selling the wrong thing, right? Most people on Airbnb and Verbo, they're still selling the house. And that's where it gets really excited to see people crush it by being able to go sell the experience because that's what we, that's what we buy when we travel. The house can be part of the experience, but we're not buying the house. We're buying the experience. And so we better do a good job of setting it up and articulating that in our marketing. I love that you brought that up. You said a key word that really stood out to me earlier was like storytelling, right? Like yes. people and hospitality are not just investors for cash flow. They're investing for cash flow, but there's a passion for the experience that they get to create as this house is almost like a canvas or this hotel is like a canvas that they get to yeah. create something that, you know, whether it's them enjoying it or other people enjoying it. What are some of the things you've seen in terms of examples of some of the best experiences people are creating that are crushing it or how these storytellers are really taking the canvas of the home or the asset and bringing yeah. it to life in a way that becomes very appetizing to stand out from all the other vanilla stuff that's going on right now. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. 
Our sponsor today is Uplift Desk. Creators are the best office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. You can visit upliftdesk.com and use the code MINDCAST for 5% off your order. And if you sit all day long while you're at work and you've never tried a desk that can transition between sitting and standing, you got to. It'll be a complete game changer. My standing desk is by Uplift Desk. It's what I use every day to record the show, prepare the show, do all my office work. And I gotta say, the transition from sitting all day to standing while I work at various times throughout the day has really made a noticeable difference for me. When I'm standing, I notice I'm way more focused and productive. I'm way more alert. And I even have a little standing treadmill under my desk now, which allows me to get some extra steps in while still plugging away on calls and getting work done. Keeps the blood flowing throughout the day, which obviously can reduce all types of different health risks and repetitive strain. And I've noticed that my posture has drastically improved since switching to an uplift desk as well because I'm not hunched over the computer all day. And while there's a lot of options out there for you to choose from, the reason I chose uplift desk is because of the quality. It doesn't wobble, it's completely stable, it's built to last, you can definitely tell based on the materials they use and they are customizable too, which is really cool. They let you build your custom dream desk by choosing over a hundred desktop choices and hundreds of accessories that you can build into the desk for your own perfect workspace. And you can do that by using the really fun to use desk configurator. And once you have your desk all designed and picked out, you order it, they ship it the same day, you get free shipping, they do free returns with free return shipping if something goes wrong. And the best part is they have an industry leading 15 year warranty that covers the complete desk, which was a really big deal for me. It shows that they stand behind their product for at least 15 years. So to get yours, go to upliftdesk.com and use the code MINDCAST for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T desk.com to get 5% off your entire order with the promo code MINDCAST. Yeah. So the e easiest way, to, where you have to start, just like any other business, you have to identify your target audience, right? Identify, don't try to be everything to everybody. Pick a very specific target audience that you want to attract and you want to create an experience for that guest. I always tell people, it's really easy. The easiest way to do it is you should be part of the target audience. And so like one of my homes, I told you I love to fly fish. I have a, uh, we have a cabin up by Yellowstone National Park. It's right on a lake up there. Well, Yellowstone is a major profit driver, right? There's millions of people that go up yep. to Yellowstone every single year. We don't go after all the people for Yellowstone. We also, we're, we're right on Henry's Lake. And it, the, the properties, it's a blue ribbon trout lake. We're also within... 15 minutes of like five major Western trout rivers, right? Fly fishing rivers. And so what we did is we set this cabin up for fly fishermen. And Love so, it. and so I, I, I happen to fly fish. So I'm, like I said, it's easy for me to figure out, okay, I know the second day of all my fishing trips, all of my waders are wet always. So we have wader drying stations, right? Every time that we go there, fly rods are 10 feet long. And we don't like to, we don't, as fly fishermen, we're in a hurry. We don't want to break them down every time we have to move to a new hole or a new river. And so we have, magnetized rod carriers that can carry your rods and put them on, on top of any vehicle and the, the fishermen have what they need there, right? So when they check in, they have a map of the area, all my favorite holes on the river. And I've literally highlighted the map. And then I, I have drawn arrows and saying, hey, behind this log, there's always fish behind here. And I have a, a custom, hand, um, custom box of hand-tied flies that I give them on, for di different seasons and say, here's, here's my favorite flies here, right? So Brilliant. when they check in, they they go in and they've got this great experience. This property 
is surrounded by other million dollar homes on the cabin or on the lake, right? Other cabins that are very, very similar, maybe even better than mine. Some of them are definitely better than mine. But our property is a waitlist only property and we charge double the nightly rate as my next door neighbor does because they just have a beautiful property on the lake that they're selling to every, anybody and everybody that wants to come. Yeah. I go after a very specific target audience and create an experience for them when they get there. Does Brilliant. that make sense? Yeah. I freaking love it. I mean, and that's ultimately when I'm looking at places I want to go, places I want to stay, I'm bored of the same old yeah. vanilla, cliched, yeah. you know, it, sterile, just archaic way of doing hospitality. And I think that's where this space has become so democratized in a way that gives storytellers, give designers, give experience creators this opportunity to totally, you know, three, five, 10x what is possible for a real estate asset. If you can, and, and that's the asterisk right there, right? Is to be able to tap into that storytelling and that, that experience um, creation zone. So I love that you brought that up. Now, speaking of markets, what what are some of the good markets that, you know, maybe are now oversaturated that once were sexy and, you know, a lot of people yeah. were doing well in um, that maybe the pendulum is swing back that maybe people want to think twice about? Maybe what are some of the emerging markets that you're seeing are, you know, kind of some of the gems that might uh, have some some steam still left in them? Yeah. So the major markets are always going to be major markets, right? It just comes down to those major markets are fairly saturated. I always believe in this game, especially when we're talking about really creating that experience, it's a lot because these these major markets they're they're saturated because there's a lot of demand. So yeah. not let's not forget the reason they're saturated is because there's a lot of people that go there, right? And there's there's a lot of demand. Usually they're major beaches, national parks, ski ski hills, like resort towns, right? Those big markets that we've heard about, but they're they're crowded and they're saturated because there's a lot of demand. If there is a lot of demand. It's a lot easier to go get your unfair share of that demand than go into some markets that don't have a lot of demand to try to create it. And so, mm-hmm. so I'll say that first on those major markets. The major markets are always still going to be very attractive as being as being able to go get our unfair share of business. Now, the caveat to that is there's always a ratio between the acquisition price and the revenue that you can generate. There's yeah. a revenue range, and there's going to be a cap to that range. Some markets have grown so much that the acquisition price has gotten so high, like my backyard in Park City. Park City is not a market you're going to cash flow very well because mm-hmm. even though there's major profit drivers, people are coming into the ski hills, they're going to come in mountain biking, they're going to enjoy the mountains all year long. You're paying a lot of money for the homes here, right? Yeah. And so you're, the revenue you can generate is not going to give you that, that lift that you probably want as a really positive cash flow property. So that's, the, that's what you have to look at on the major markets. We love some of those. I love, I call them backyard resort communities. So those, those kind of regionally known areas that are, you know, you got the weekend warriors that are going usually a two to three hour drive from major metropolitan areas. Those are really fun markets that you can really maximize well because there's people going there all the time. There's major metropolitan areas that feed that. In every area of the country, you've got those backyard resort yep. towns, right? And regionally, you've heard of them, you know about them, everybody goes. But you get outside that region, you probably never even heard about it, right? Yeah. And so, like, like that, my first cabin was in Bear Lake, Utah. Most people yeah, outside of here, outside the Salt Lake metro area, they've never even heard of Bear Lake, right? And so they're going there from here. But those those backyard resort communities are great for short term rentals, and they, I mean, they can and acquisition costs are usually not, you know, they're not like the major resort towns. 
The other ones that are we're seeing and really paying attention to right now, in fact, we've got offers out on three or four of them right now, are the college towns. Mm. College towns are, are showing us some really good, nice returns on the short-term rental side. And, you know, because you've always got people coming in for game days, you've got people coming in for graduations. And so you can, and you can create a really fun experience for those people that are coming to the college stuff as well. And so college towns, and they don't have to be major college towns, right? We're seeing them across the board in, you know, secondary college, like NAIA schools. And I mean, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be major college towns. And, and so that's, that's kind of our focus right now as well Is those are some emerging markets that we're seeing some really nice returns on because acquisition prices are usually pretty dang low. Yeah, I've found that, you know, on on that vein, right? Is the the in in hospitality, the the riches are in the niches. Like yeah. if you can really kind of narrow the focus, and you know, it's it's beyond the day. I think in terms of saturation, where you can just pick a good market and, like you said, put it up on you know one of the platforms and expect yeah. that it's going to do well. Um, and if you can really kind of hone in on some of the the, the niche markets, the niche experiences, or the niche drivers to that market, you can really curate a, a very unique and, and you know, one-of-a-kind experience for people that will totally pay for and go out of their way to, to get that. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how you, because this is where, you know, it's, uh, I've seen a lot of people make these mistakes and I've always said, you know, you make your money on the buy. Talk about some underwriting rules of thumb and how you kind of go about whether it's underwriting a market, underwriting an asset you know, underwriting the financials. Talk a little bit about how you approach that. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, This is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing this up because I think this is probably the biggest mistake that new investors make yeah. is not understanding how to run the numbers. And and I'll, a, a huge point that I that I have just been trying to scream from, from the rooftops right now is don't let somebody else underwrite your deals for you, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's so many software tools or like in our game, 
management companies, realtors, they're giving you the best advice they know, yeah. you know, but you better understand the numbers on how to underwrite a deal. And in the short-term rental game, you really have to start with underwriting the market. Is it an investable market? And the very first part of your underwriting has nothing to do with the numbers. It has to do with the regulations. Can you even operate a short-term rental in the market you're wanting to go into? Once you've checked that box, now it's understanding what that ratio looks like between acquisition price and revenue, right? And so, and, and you have to like, I always like kind of my rule of thumb is, We'll go on and I always tell people in the short-term rental game, if you're going to have debt service and you have management on there, you need to generate about 10% of your acquisition cost in gross revenue just to break even in a market. And so that's your break-even mark, right? So people will look and say, well, oh, I'm buying a $500,000 property. You know, I, I can make $50,000. My debt services on that is $25,000. I've got a pretty good upside. No, you don't. You're, you're, you're probably losing money right now in that game, right? So... So what we're doing is in the very first stage is underwriting the market. And what's really starts to get confusing for people on the short-term rental side is, you know, it's not a, a three-bed, two-bath duplex that your neighbor, you and your neighbor are going to be within $100 a night of each other. Like I gave you an example on my, my fly fishing cabin. I was making double the money that my neighbor was making on the same property. And so you have to be able to know what that range looks like. What's the bottom of the market? What's the top of the market? And then where are you going to fall within that? And you have to be able to say, is that market investable or is it not investable? Yeah. Then you now take those numbers and you start to plug in individual properties and to say, okay, does this property, okay, I'm buying in Park City, Utah, and it's not on the ski hill. In fact, it's 30 minutes away from the ski hill. And so I, it doesn't matter what kind of experience I do here. I can raise one or two price tiers. I'm never going to get to the top of the market and compete with the ski and scale homes, yep. right? So you have to be able to look at all of the different factors there. So it starts with regulations, market. What does that market revenue look like? And then where on the individual homes I'm looking at, how are they going to perform in that market to start really running the numbers? Yep. And that's the, it, it seems complicated when you've never done it. Short-term rentals, there are a lot of moving parts. As long as you've got good data tools and you know what data is important to you, right? And it's up to you to decide based on your property goals and what you're trying to do. Maybe RevPAR is important. Just because I say I don't care that much about RevPAR, you have to make that decision of what data points you're interested in looking at to make your, your ultimate decisions on signing on the dotted line and buying these properties, right? Yep. But underwriting is so important to understand the numbers. And, you know, it it gets people in trouble really, really quickly and and in any asset class, but short-term yeah. rentals particularly, especially when something like short-term rentals has been so popular the last couple of years. It's like, I'm just going to buy it because I can make tr three times what I can make on a long-term rental. That, that game, while that was actually true the last couple of years. It, you it's know, not anymore. It's not anymore. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Talk, um, you know, as we kind of wrap up, um, I know people are going to want to know more about um, Vodacy, how to get connected with you guys, what you guys got going on. Maybe share a little bit more about some of your favorite tools and resources that you guys use and leverage when it comes to your business, underwriting, operating, things along those lines. Yeah, one of the main tools that we're, we've we been a big fan of ever since they've come out is AirDNA. AirDNA yeah. is, is, I believe, a, a by far and away the best data tool. We actually don't use it off the shelf. We're, um, we're the largest consumer of AirDNA, the largest customer of AirDNA in the US. And so we, we, have, uh, we buy a lot of licenses from them and, and get a lot of data. But we actually nice. extract it and, and use some of our own underwriting tools that we've built just to, just to look at the numbers a little different way, right? Yeah. Just to, yeah, yeah, yeah. they have the data. It's taken a very large pool, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, and we just we just bring pull the data out and then we put it to paint the picture that so that we can decide is a market investable, is a property what it looks like. That's that's probably our favorite tool, you know, and then ultimately we we really tap into some of those like the best storytellers like on the back end, like understanding like we tap we go outside of our world. Like we we study the best marketers, the best, you know, the the best businesses when it comes to paid advertising. We look at some of the companies that just are great storytellers. And yeah. we we bring in some of those photographers and those storytellers to help us articulate what we have to offer. Those are some of the main tools that we that we love to tap into. And it's really it's human resources, right? Yeah. We're, we're we're tapping into individuals who are really experts at certain things. And we bring them into our into our short term rental world. Well, Sean, your your community, you know, the value that you guys are really bringing to the hospitality, the short term rental space is unlike, and obviously, it's a testament to why you guys are, you know, the number one in the country. Um, but it's unlike anything I've I've seen out there, and and I'm extremely impressed with it. And and for anybody that is considering getting into this space, you know, the the kind of cliched statement of you know stand on the shoulders of giants. You guys are that giant and you can really mitigate a lot of risk for people. You can accelerate getting great results um, and and really help people break into this space. So I know a lot of people are going to want to check out Vodacy. They're going to want to maybe follow you and what you guys got going on. Where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, best place is just go to Vodacy.com. And, and I really appreciate you saying that, Maddie. And it was... It's been such a fun game for us. And, and don't be surprised when you dive into our stuff if you decide that short-term rentals aren't the right fit for you, right? right? Our goal is to help you walk into this with your eyes wide open. And if you if it resonates with you like it does with us, go check out vodacy.com. It's V-O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y. You can get a free copy of my book. It's called What the Hell is a Lifestyle Asset? That takes you through kind of our view of this world, our, my nine-step process that goes through acquisition, setup and management, ultimately marketing. And, and we just share everything we can on there. I've got some free underwriting tools that people can go check out. So just go you know, be a part of our world. We know how valuable everybody's time is. I, I love that people spend it with us, listening to us, and, uh, and we hope to add value there along the way. And ultimately, if it's the road you want to run down, we, we'd love to be part of that journey. We'll head over to millionairemindcast.com on Sean's episode. We'll have all the links, all the resources that he just mentioned here. Uh, as we wrap up, I am very curious about what specifically are you most excited about or most paying attention to, whether it's good or bad, in the space that you think might impact the future of STRs? Yeah, the biggest thing, and it's really more the, the what I'm really paying attention to is um, and I call it like, I think we're in a separation season right now. I don't know who coined the term separation season. I heard it from Ed Milet a long time ago. Yeah, but, yeah, same. Yeah, so, um, but I think that, and I'm really excited right now because I do think that there's a couple scenarios in the real estate market, whether rates go up or go down, that we're going to be really happy that they're that we're getting in the game when a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines right now. Yep. And so I, I don't see... And so that for me is getting me really worked up right now. And I'm trying to tell people, hey, if you're if you're thinking about it, there's a couple likely scenarios that could happen. And and all of them are, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be glad you got into the game as long as you can afford it, right? You yeah. wanna it's okay to push yourself and be uncomfortable, but don't, never put yourself in a position where you're where you're, you know, your back's against the wall, right? Yeah. And so, but I'm really excited about some of the things on the real estate side of life because I think we've got some big gains to be made again in the, in the very near future. Well, you and I are of the same uh, mindset on that one. And I know we'll be collaborating and chatting more about you know some of the exciting opportunities in hospitality. Sean, thanks for coming on, coming on the show today, brother. Really appreciate you. 
Matt, thanks for having me. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're also gonna get entered in to win a $100 gift card. Don't forget to share this episode out with somebody else that may need to hear it or may get some value from what was talked about in today's interview. And for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey, you want to unlock more financial freedom, you want to get more time back, or maybe you just want to level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to MillionaireMindcast.com and check out all the amazing products and resources that we have for our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, downloads and checklists, the Rich Life Planner for those of you looking to take your goal setting and productivity to the next level. We've got all kinds of great, valuable tools. So be sure to check those out at MillionaireMindcast.com. And last but not least, if you're not on my weekly text letter and you want to be the first to know of exclusive updates and offers in addition to behind the scenes access to a lot of the stuff that I'm doing that I'm investing in, be sure to join by texting the word notes to 844-447-1555. With that being said, thanks for listening today. Until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friends. 